At the outset of the pandemic in 2020, I wrote a series of columns warning that government-ordered lockdowns of citizens and the shutdowns of businesses were the wrong things to do. Two and a half years later, that argument has been vindicated. The draconian mandates violated basic rights. They constituted an historic assault on individual liberties that should never again be repeated. People's lives and livelihoods were shattered when the ranks of the unemployed swelled to 22 million people. Businesses everywhere shuttered, some of them never to return. The economy was devastated and is still struggling to recover today amid Joe Biden's reckless spending that then triggered record inflation. For many, the social ills, the psychological trauma of pandemic lockdowns will last a lifetime. The educational progress of children was horribly damaged. Government-ordered isolation led to widespread depression, alcoholism, substance abuse, domestic violence, hunger, and suicides as personal freedoms were extinguished. And for what? The population at risk was a small, identifiable demographic. Targeted care for this group would have been the correct approach. Yes, isolation to some extent helped slow the spread, but at what cost? The collateral damage was severe. Government intervention as a cure turned out to be a whole lot worse than the disease. This was entirely foreseeable. An exhaustive study by Johns Hopkins University determined that lockdowns accomplished almost nothing. COVID-19 deaths were reduced by a scant 0.2%. The researchers concluded, and I quote, we find no evidence that lockdowns, school closures, border closures, and limited gatherings have had a noticeable effect on COVID-19 mortality, end of quote. They added that such actions by the government were ill-founded and should be rejected as pandemic policy instruments. A Canadian assessment and other cost-benefit studies found the exact same thing. There was never any science behind Dr. Anthony Fauci's dictates, but they were followed mindlessly by Democratic governors and mayors who were all too anxious to assert their control. The egomaniacal medical advisor predicted catastrophic casualties if we didn't do as he demanded. Well, it turns out that Fauci's so-called scientific models were not just flawed, they were a joke. His judgment was folly. All the while, he covered up his own complicity in creating and or spreading the virus by falsely denying that his unit at the National Institutes of Health actually helped finance the dangerous experiments inside the Chinese laboratory from which the virus likely escaped. No single person has ever done as much damage to America as Anthony Fauci. New York and California, run by Democrats, were epic failures with their stringent lockdown policies. They had by far the worst outcomes. They did not achieve lower death rates than those states that remained largely opened. 
Florida was among the best performing states, thanks to the sensible policies of Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, who eliminated restrictions early on. He never bought into the Fauci hysteria. Quote, we needed to choose freedom over Fauciism, he quipped recently. Florida became a refuge of sanity in a world gone mad, he added. The citizens of his state were the beneficiaries of his strength and wisdom, which is one of the principal reasons why so many people across the U.S. have since flocked to the Sunshine State. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times bestselling author, this is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. Billionaire investor Michael Pinto has a warning for you. Don't listen to anyone who tells you how bad the crash will be and when it exactly will happen. Nobody knows. But the CEO of Wells Fargo warns the worst is yet to come for Americans. Pay attention to the economic data. Inflation is at a 40-year high. And make no mistake about it, the recession is real no matter how the White House tries to change the definition. That's why Bloomberg, Goldman Sachs, and Jim Cramer are all calling for gold to surge. Gold and silver have historically moved opposite the stock market and in the long term can preserve your purchasing power. Call 800-809-8500 and Lear Capital, the number one rated gold company, will present the same trusted options they have been giving successful investors since 1997. At Lear Capital, most IRA rollovers qualify for no IRA fees for up to five years. Their current incentive offers up to $15,000 in bonus silver for well-qualified new customers. A three-minute call can protect your portfolio with the power of real physical gold. Call 800 809-8500 today. Again, that's 800-809-8500 and tell them Greg Jarrett sent you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. It wasn't that long ago that Governor Ron DeSantis was the favorite villain of the left. Remember when liberal states were widely hailed for their drastic pandemic restrictions, while conservative states were roundly reviled. History would soon prove that popular sentiment was wrong. I find it therefore amazing that DeSantis is still battling government pinheads who want to keep masking low-income toddlers in schools and childcare centers, even though the Centers for Disease Control says it's a bad idea. But naturally, Joe Biden and his Health and Human Services Department, HHS, think they know better. For Joe, it's all about power and control over other people's lives. It's the socialist mindset he adopted the moment he was sworn in. When it comes to masks, most adults burn them in disgust after the CDC found they made no statistical difference. But Biden won't relent when it comes to two-year-olds. On Joe's orders, Head Start preschools and child care centers must mask up staff members 
are required to get vaccinated. Florida and Texas got injunctions to eventually stop the idiocy, but kids in 25 states are still forced to cover their faces. DeSantis has long argued against masks in schools as harmful to child development and education. He sent kids back to school after a brief pause early in the pandemic. His actions were later shown to be correct, although the chronically destructive teachers' unions would never admit it. They don't care about kids. They never have. The unions, you'll recall, fought like foaming mad dogs to lock children out of schools, even though they knew that virtual learning was woefully inadequate. The results were predictably calamitous. New test scores reveal that two decades of progress in math and reading have been erased. Lower income and minority students suffered the most. Ho-hum, says Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. Nothing to see here. Let's move on. More than anybody else, Weingarten is directly to blame for the enormous damage done to education in America. By the summer of 2020, it was already clear that children were at exceedingly low risk of COVID. Experts were warning then that their learning loss was at a high risk if they did not return to in-person schooling. Neither Weingarten nor Joe Biden gave a hoot. Don't misunderstand. Most teachers do care about kids. Their unions do not. They kept telling parents that their children would die if they set foot in school. It was a deliberate lie. Statistical scientific evidence proves it. But Weingarten and her union kept peddling the big lie. Why? Well, the Wall Street Journal's editorial board put it succinctly, and I'll quote, Unions used the pandemic to extort money from Congress and received some $190 billion in COVID relief to safely reopen and address learning losses. But schools stayed closed, and much of the money still hasn't been spent, end of quote. So there you have it. Greed is what drove Weingarten and the unions. Concern about safety, well, that was merely a convenient pretext. Throughout all of this, DeSantis has been a voice of reason in the wilderness of lunacy and stupidity. In a speech last week, he said, Not only were they wrong about schools, the elites were wrong about lockdowns, epidemiological and hospitalization models, forced masking, and the efficacy of natural immunity. In almost every significant issue, the elites were wrong. End of quote. He's got a point. The trouble with elites, be they bureaucrats, unions, or power-hungry politicians, is that they lack both competence and common sense. Fortunately for Floridians, their governor has both. Joining me now to talk about it is the Attorney General for Florida, Ashley Moody, who, by the way, previously served as a judge on the 13th Judicial Circuit Court of Florida. A.G. Moody, thank you so much for joining us on The Brief. Let me begin with this. How is it even possible uh, with all that we now know that the Biden administration 
is still demanding that low-income toddlers have to mask up, even though it directly contradicts CDC guidelines. Well, you know, I'm not quite confident that they expected parents of children that are enrolled in these Head Start you know, preschool programs to start speaking out. Those are some of the most restricted, regulated federal schools. And, you know, you have parents, moms that are coming out and saying, this is ridiculous. Like our toddlers that are needing to see mouths and communicate and learn um, speech patterns and learn how to uh, develop conversations, they're still required to wear masks under the Biden administration. And, uh, HHS. And, you know, we're trying to comply, but this is ridiculous. They're even required to wear masks outside on the playground. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, for lack of a better word, stupid. Um, and even worse, HHS, the Health and Human Services of the Biden administration, admits that its mask rule for kids is completely contrary to the CDC guidance. So, you know, they're kind of saying now, well, we're not going to really enforce the rule or demand compliance. Uh, but but that doesn't help, does it? I mean, the rule is still on the books. So don't Head Start operators feel obligated to follow it and indeed parents. Why not just eliminate the rule entirely that they know is wrong? Well, and that and that is you have hit the nail on the head, Greg. The, the Head Start programs are so, um, they have a culture of compliance because they are always ensuring they're in compliance with all of these regulations and rules. And so it's almost a frightening thing for them to, you know, decide on their own because they're so discouraged from doing that in any other area that they're not going to wear these masks. And I feel, you know, I truly believe they did not expect parents in these programs to speak out and remind folks, hey, look down, you know, in these programs, we are still having to wear masks. Teachers are still, to have to, still having to mask up. Children can't see them. I said, we have to be in, in the leadership of this. We have to fight back. And all of those states in which you had attorneys general sue and push back on this regulation requiring two-year-olds to wear masks, we got injunctions. We won. In states like California and others where they don't have that type of leadership, fighting for their children, fighting for their liberties, fighting for their personal freedoms, they're still under the heavy hand of these federal government mandates. I just think it's, it's, it's a, a disadvantage to those children in those states. And remember, Head Start programs are generally made up of low-income children fr f you know, from families that, that need help and need the government assistance. And so this is drastically affecting our low-income families, primor primarily made up of minorities. And this just just par for the course, right? Democrats are out there enacting policies that are harming folks from the very families that they profess to want to protect. And so you've got states like Florida where we fought back and tried to protect them. And then you've got these other states where these children are still having to mask up. And it's important to remember right now, especially as the president and others are coming out and saying, trying to rewrite history, that they were the ones protecting children going to school, that they were the ones making sure schools weren't locked down, that they were the ones, you know, you, you know when we know exactly the opposite. 
in Florida, when our great governor DeSantis tried to push to open our schools, he actually got sued, sued from some of these folks. So it's important to remember, and I appreciate you highlighting this because I think this needs to be top of mind for folks these days. Instead of imposing drastic restrictions, Florida really took a healthy living approach. They pushed alternative available treatments that that were quite effective. Um, And in fact, just as effective, if not more so than the Democrat run states and cities that, you know, forced people to shut down their businesses, lock themselves in isolation. And the damage done uh, was almost incalculable. Uh, All the while, Governor DeSantis in Florida were pilloried uh, by Democrats, the mainstream media for two long years. Do you now feel vindicated by all of the studies that have come out that show that Florida's response was actually the better one? You know, I'm I'm certainly proud of our state and the way we have been able to not only get through a challenging time uh, for our citizens, but but do so in a way that shows our approach to leadership is the the best approach to ensuring vitality and success and well-being of your residents moving forward. I mean, we were we were very strong in making sure that our citizens understood that we were working to to protect their health, safety and welfare, but we never made decisions that were contrary to not only individual freedoms but, you know, economic freedoms. So you think about some of the things that we were pushing for when Governor DeSantis wanted the schools to be open and was very adamant about that. He has three young children himself. I'm a mom of a young school-age child. <laughs> you know, we were fighting very hard to ensure our parents had the option, and this is key, they had the option to either send their child in person or had a, had a, a remain home option, but that was up to the parents. We fought to keep our cruise industry open. If you remember, the CDC shut down the cruise lines, the whole industry, for about a year and a half until Florida stepped up and said, you cannot, through an unelected bureaucrat, shut down an entire industry. You know, we had we had longshoremen out of jobs, caterers, uniform makers, you name it. And so it wasn't until we did that that the CDC started loosening up and started allowing cruises to get going again. But whether it was pushing back on public transportation mask mandates or unlawful OSHA mandates, I mean, we were always, Florida was always at the forefront with some of our great partners around the nation and saying, look, we can, we can get through this. We can protect as best we can the health of our people, but we cannot cripple our education Uh, strides, our economy, the freedom of our people to get there. This has always been an approach of leadership, but what what the last few years did, it showed when you have one uh, group of folks thinks that they should tell you how things they should be and cram down regulations and laws to make you do what they think you should do in order to comply what they think is best, compared to another group of leadership that says, we're going to do our best to examine data and 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 have opportunities and and options available to you but we are not going to act in a way that's going to restrict your individual liberties or cripple our economy and you can see the results of those two approaches to leadership and i think at this point the nation sees yeah, that speaking of results 
Um, during the pandemic, your state fought to keep schools open. Uh, and that prevented the kind of precipitous drop in student test scores that took place in all of the other states where, you know, schools remain closed for so long. And, you know, the, the, the biggest force trying to keep uh, children at home and schools closed was the teachers union. How much of the blame do the teachers union and Randy Weingarten in particular bear for all of the damage done to children's learning? And I just think that, you know, again, I I stated earlier in Florida, when our education leaders and and not only was uh, Governor DeSantis such a leader in this effort, but our uh, secretary of education, Uh, Richard Corcoran at the time, uh, both were adamant that we were going to keep our schools open, even in the face of just an onslaught of personal attacks, um, criticism, and legal action. You know, it's it's really interesting to me to watch how uh, these these unions and others are trying to run away from the fact that they were actively trying to shut our children out of school. I mean, even President Biden came in long after kids should have been in school and was supporting the Chicago Teachers Union to keep kids out of school there. You know, it's and that's why it's so important that you have these discussions and you uh, remind people because if we can't learn from from you know, a difficult time and a challenge to every state and how we proceeded, if we can't admit when maybe the union shouldn't have fought to keep kids out of school now that we're seeing test scores, if we can't recognize that at least and be honest about that, how will we ever prevent the same mistake in the yeah. future? I mean, uh, you know, the latest uh, study shows that uh, national test scores um reveal the two decades of progress in math and reading has been utterly erased. And, you know, Randy Weingart, uh, head of the largest teachers union, sort of reacted with, well, nothing to see here. We got through it. Let's move on. Um, You know, I mentioned in my opening remarks how people in other states have flocked to Florida. Uh, When Governor DeSantis was elected in 2018, there were about 300,000 more registered Democrats in the state. And now uh, GOP voters outnumber Democrats by a 271,000 margin. How exactly did that happen? Was it simply the product of better government and a freer life? Look at the policies of some of these radicals that are in state leadership around our nation and the obvious affects from those policies. So, you know, look at California, who is talking about, you know, banning gas cars, and then telling people now they can't charge electric cars. Look at the crime policies. In Chicago, you have a mayor there who says when when businesses are overrun with criminals, blames the businesses for not having better security. You have folks that repeatedly have said, you know, we've got to get a handle on law and order it is the stabilizing factor in any civilized society under a rule of law, and they keep going farther and farther and farther uh, against law and order. What are people supposed to do? You know, it is amazing to me we haven't had more people flocking to Florida. At the core of things, people aren't moving to Florida because of our sunny beaches or our weather. They're moving here because of our core values. 
our, our fiscal stewardship, our protection of individual liberty, our, our extreme desire to keep Washington out of the autonomy of Florida so that we can c- keep applying common sense leadership here. You know, part of my job as attorney general is not just working with law enforcement uh, around the state. It's not just you know, trying to ensure that we're protecting the individual liberties of our citizens. It's pushing Washington out of Florida so that they can't turn Florida into California, which they are trying to do in every state uh, through regulations and unelected bureaucrats. You know, from a budgetary and macroeconomic standpoint, uh, Florida really stands out. Uh, And in fact, in a speech over the weekend, Governor DeSantis pointed out that New York has three million fewer people, but a budget twice the size of Florida. And unlike New York, Florida boasts a $22 billion surplus in a state with no income tax. So you've certainly got better roads, better services. You've got school choice programs that are improving education. Um, Are you taking a stand against uh, the indoctrination of critical race theory and other sort of left-wing woke ideology? Well, you can follow, uh, you know, you can see the fights that I am in as attorney general uh, in Florida. And many of those are defending some of those policies that have been enacted by our legislature. In fact, I joke with our governor quite often. uh, He came in and, and, you know, the first speech he gave, I remember, to the full legislative uh, branch. And, you know, he said, you know, energy in the executive is is a, a trait of good government, and you know, quoting Hamilton, and I just knew from there, from that moment on, uh, we were going to be a state uh, that worked to make sure that we were um, paying attention to to Florida citizens and ensuring uh, equal opportunity, and and making sure that we were following the law and working to make sure that Florida as we like to say, is the freest state in the nation. I truly believe because of some of these policies that we've been able to enact and are defending vigorously, that we have become not only you know a, a flag bearer, a standard bearer, if you will, for the rest of the nation, but you go anywhere in the world now and they talk about Florida and what we're doing in terms of common sense, what we're doing to protect Floridians. You know, my one of my favorite things to talk about is when people started insanely talking about defunding police, not supporting police, or, or in, you know, in woke speak, reallocating resources. Um, Florida immediately started doing the opposite. We said, how do we fund the police? How do we give them more resources? How do we train people from other states when they realize that they're not wanted by their leadership? How do we train those officers and get them down here and recruit them? We launched a Be a Florida Hero initiative. We have so many officers moving here from Chicago and New York who are now Florida heroes. And the the vigor in which they come here and want to serve, is it, it's matched by our appreciation for them. You know, I, I don't, I, I think it's only the fault of leadership in New York and California and Portland and Chicago. It's their fault that their officers and citizens are flocking to Florida. You know, enact sane policies that protect your citizens, their safety and their liberties, and they'll stay. You know, I'm I'm glad you brought up crime. Uh, You're obviously the attorney general of Florida. And in that role, you and the governor have both taken a very firm stand against crime 
and an aggressive approach to enforcing the law, giving the resources that uh, law enforcement needs. Uh, when the Hillsborough County State Attorney publicly proclaimed he's not going to enforce Florida's uh, new ban on abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy, the governor suspended him. You've made ballot harvesting a third-degree felony, the trendy no-cash-bail systems that are, of course, championed by progressives elsewhere. That's not tolerated in your state. So this and other actions have gained national headlines. But in Florida, A.G. Moody, What's been the reaction there among the citizens to all of that? You're you're clamped down on crime and providing resources to police. You know, I think you you talk to folks that are moving into Florida and they're the best gauge of why people value uh, Florida compared to other states. And they will tell you there are many reasons, but a lot of it is our support for a law and order and safe communities. You have to, in order to thrive, in order to succeed, you have to feel as though you can start a business, raise a family, re- enjoy your golden years without being, uh, you know, unnecessarily subjected to high crime risk. And in, in Florida, we are working hard to not only uh, lure law enforcement here to ensure that we can fulfill our vacancies, where, you know, obviously we are trying to fund uh, well our police forces and our sheriff's departments, uh, but we are also being proactive. We watch what's going on around the rest of the nation, and we we say to ourselves, Florida's not immune just because we, we're Florida. How do we, how are we proactive in making sure that cannot take root and spread here? And so, for example, when you saw the retail theft, the organized retail theft skyrocketed and, and businesses were just being overrun, we started working on a law to ensure that we could uh, better prosecute those cases. We worked on a data, a data, a coordinated data share between businesses and law enforcement to ensure we could stay ahead of the trends. You ask law enforcement here, they'll tell you at some points they're able to connect crimes that they never could have before in different jurisdictions. And that's just one example on how we try to stay on the forefront. I also think it's another great example when you compare Florida to some of these other states. We're very strategic and we're very proactive in how we plan for our, our um, policies and, and the affects of them. If you look at many of these other states, they enact these crazy policies. They're hardly thought through. It's almost done as they can, they can do a big announcement and make some splash, and they don't even think about the long-term affect to their communities. That's not going to attract families. That's not going to attract businesses. You know, there's a reason why more businesses started in Florida last year than any other state in the nation. That's because people know they can move their families here, their employees here, and they and they'll have leaders that are working their very hardest to ensure a stable, safe community that operates under a rule of law. Yeah. Attorney General of Florida Ashley Moody, thanks so much for being my guest on this edition of the brief. Appreciate your being here. Absolutely. Great to be with you. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for being here.